Well, nothing like following little kids with a song. Yeah. But I have something better, actually, and it's the Word. Daniel chapter 9. If you want to open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to the end, 27. This is a, this is a big one. don't know how many times I've gotten into discussions over the 70 weeks. And I'm looking forward to Jackie making it all clear today. It says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there should be a war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make strong a covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. Until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to try to, to figure everything out when, when a day is going to come and what's going to happen between now and then. But, Lord, we can just lean on you, trust in you, call upon your name, and, and trust that uh, your spirit can lead and guide us into all the truth that we need to know. Lord, I pray for an anointing on Jackie to, to rightly divide your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us to hear what you want us to hear this morning and to apply what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So have you guys noticed our world's kind of crazy? Man, it's unreal. Like, you know, oh, this is cool. Did you do this, babe? I didn't. Oh. <laughs> I can do whatever I want with them. All right, you ready? We go, <clears throat> we're traveling to California for, you know, we tried to mix a little fun into it, but it wasn't a lot of fun to go uh, bury Kathy's mom and and find a home for my mom, who is now diagnosed with Alzheimer's, <clears throat> try to work all those things out. And in the middle of all that, uh, you know, some crazy guy shoots 49 people, right, in Orlando. And I struggle with how to feel about that. You know, I know that I, I just go to God's Word when, I, when my feelings are all jumbled up and I don't know what to think. God's Word tells us that God does not glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would repent and live. 
And uh, I'm not saying what they were doing at 2 a.m. And, and that particular club was a good idea. It was continuous rebellion against God. But I also know God's heart is for there to be repentance. So we got that going on. And then that happens and then that gets everybody fired up, right? And on the heels of that, we have some crazy things happen in Twin Falls. And we got people, uh, um, emotions are like on the edge. It feels like we're walking on a razor. And all it's going to take is something, some little thing to push it all over. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's crazy. I look at the news and I see this, this animosity and hatred developing for the Bible. Which is kind of uh, does, not shocking. That part is not so shocking. But, you know, it's almost as though might as well have been a Christian that went in that club. But, <clears throat> it's... Uh, as you look at it all and all the talk about hate speech and all that stuff, um, I don't. It was earlier this week I was listening to <clears throat> Ravi Zacharias, one of his podcasts, and and he shared a poem on there. I'm going to share it with you guys in a minute. But the <clears throat> the the poem is called the Creed or the Creed of the Atheist. <clears throat> but it so typifies like what's going on in the world right now. And Daniel chapter 9 helps me understand that it's all headed to a point. There's a conclusion that, that all of time and mankind is moving towards. And God is in control of that. That these 70 weeks we're going to be looking at were determined by Him. Well, let's, let's consider this. Steve Turner, he wrote this, called The Creed. We believe in Marks. Freud and Darwin, we believe everything is okay, as long as you don't hurt anyone, to the best of your definition of hurt, and to the best of your knowledge. We believe in sex before, during, and after marriage. We believe in the therapy of sin. We believe that adultery is fun. We believe that sodomy is okay. We believe that taboos are taboo. We believe that everything is getting better, despite the evidence to the contrary, The evidence must be investigated, and you can prove anything with evidence. We believe there's something to horoscopes, UFOs, and bent spoons. Jesus was a good man, just like Buddha, Mohammed, and others. He was a good moral teacher, though we think his good morals were bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same, at least the one that we read about was. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We believe that after death comes nothing. Because when you ask the dead what happens, they say nothing. If death is not the end, if the dead have lied, then it is compulsory heaven for all. Except, perhaps, Hitler, Stalin, and Genghis Khan. We believe in Masters and Johnson. What's selected is average. What's average is normal. What's normal is good. We believe in total disarmament. We believe there are direct links between warfare and bloodshed. Americans should beat their guns into tractors, and I'm sure our enemies would follow. We believe that man is essentially good. It's only his behavior that lets him down. This is the fault of society. Society is the fault of conditions, and conditions are the fault of society. We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. 
We believe there is no absolute truth except the truth that there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds and the flowering of individual thought. So if chance be the father of all flesh, then disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills ten, troops on the rampage, whites go looting, it is nothing more than the sound of man worshiping his maker. That's a world that has rejected Christ, rejected the Lord, and is in a consistent rebellion. And beyond just being in a rebellion, guys, it's a rebellion that requires you to celebrate their rebellion. That's our world, everywhere you look. It might be different shades or different colors. But when we look at the chaos, we really shouldn't be all that surprised. Because it's just the sound of man worshiping his maker, right? And when I am my own God, and my reason is the highest reality, things are going to go south. So Daniel, in looking at a, a, a world that was similar only, you know, thousands of years ago, Daniel's looking at his world, craziness going on, <clears throat> he's in a foreign land, he's praying that God would <clears throat> deliver his people, that God would bring them back into the nation, that God would do these incredible things in his life. And so while he's praying, Gabriel shows up and he begins to talk to him. And he gives them this vision that we just looked at. Now, last time we were together, we talked about the first verse, but don't worry, I'm going to touch on it again. In Daniel 9, 24, it says, 70 weeks are determined. 70 weeks are decreed. They're going to happen. Period. There's no backing them up, no turning them off, no putting them away. These 70 weeks are absolutely determined. <clears throat> Seventy weeks is the word in Hebrew. Uh, Shabuim Shabi. Shabuim Shabi. It's literally seventy sevens. Given no definition of what the sevens are. Seven days, seven months, seven years. As we uh, look at context, we decide that uh, what's going on is, is uh, seventy sevens of years. 490 years of prophetic history is determined for who? Israel, right? For your people. And specifically Jerusalem. The people always ask me, we're going to get a little ways in this couple verses in, and I'm going to say the 70 weeks stopped at 69. And you're going to say, well, what do you mean? Well, something changed at that moment. What changed? It's the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles. How much time is left on the, on the 70 weeks? Seven more. Seven more are still to come. So as we take a look at it, what is the cause? <clears throat> Why are these 70 weeks being laid out? So first, to show that God is sovereign. We're going from a beginning to a, an end. Okay? And this is part of that journey from beginning to end. The second thing that we see, the cause about it, it's, it's over the sins of the people. And the third thing that we see the cause of is for the setting up of the kingdom. There's going to be the return of the king. Right? You guys ever wonder why every good fiction has this concept of the return of the king? 
Like that king, he's, he's gone. The, I think of King Arthur. I think of the Lord of the Rings. The idea that there's a once and future king. That there is this idea of a returning triumphal victory. And, w- and when we look at the Word of God, it's right there. Jesus Christ has come to set up His kingdom. Remember? All the kingdoms of the world got clay feet. Remember? They're all crumbling. They're all falling apart. They're not going to last. They, they do damage. They do damage. You can sit on the news and proclaim that all the hate in the world is because of religion. All you want. When Jesus Christ comes back, they're not going to be no more. There won't be no more because the king has returned. And what has he returned to do? He's going to deal with sin and he's going to deal with setting up his kingdom. So when we look at those two things in that first verse, there are three things that we see of what God's going to do in dealing with the sins of the people. And specifically, remember, we're talking about Israel. Not, I'm not saying that some of these things don't bleed over for us, but remember, that's the point of the prophecy, right? Seventy weeks are determined for your people. First, what's he going to do? He says he's going to finish the transgression. The is a definite article. Transgression is a singular word. That's not talking about all kinds of transgressions. Transgressions when we rebel against God on purpose. He's talking about a specific transgression. We talked about it two weeks ago. That specific transgression is the hardening of the hearts of the nation of Israel as they harden their heart toward God. God confirms their decision. God blinds their eyes, Messiah comes. Remember when Jesus came, and as he's working his way, how many times did he tell people, shh, don't tell anyone I'm the Messiah? Doesn't that ever seem weird to you? What about when Jesus speaks in parables? Why is he speaking to them in parables? Because the nation of Israel is in rebellion. God has hardened them. It's called judicial hardening. God has hardened them in their rebellion so that they won't turn to him. For what purpose? So salvation can go where? To the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him. What was that first? Whosoever. So anybody can come. Anybody can come. So God hardens the hearts of the nation of Israel. They're in rebellion. In fact, the Bible tells in Romans 9, 10, and 11, that rebellion continues. They're blinded still. But what is God going to accomplish in 490 years prophetically? He's going to finish the transgression. He's going to open their eyes. He's going to stop the rebellion. In fact, Paul talking about this, is, it's, it's an incredible section really in Romans 11. <clears throat> Paul's talking about this, let's look at it. Romans 11, 25-27 says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery, lest you be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until what? Fullness of what? The Gentiles come in. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, so all Israel will be saved. What's he saying? The nation of Israel one day is going to turn toward Jesus. When's that going to happen? At the end of 490 years prophetically. One seven-year period left. What do we call that period of time? Tribulation. At the end of tribulation, what's Israel going to do? They're going to look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for their only son. Their eyes will be open. Their eyes. So what's he say? The first thing, I'm going to finish the transgression. I'm going to finish it. Second thing, he's going to make an end of sin. I'm going to make an end of sin. Now that phrase speaks of judging, a judgment. He's going to make an end. He's going to judge them for their rebellion. He's going to judge them for the hardness of their heart. He's going to judge them for their sins. Now we also see that 
in the 70-week prophecy, multiple places where God's judgment comes upon the nation of Israel. There's one time period left to come. Another time frame in which God says, what? His wrath is going to be poured out, right? On a Christ-rejecting world to make an end of sin. Everybody thinks, oh, I sinned, nothing happened. I sinned, nothing happened. I'll just keep doing it. Payday someday. God says he's going to make an end of sin. He's going to bring it to a conclusion. Specifically, the nation of Israel, Zechariah 13, 8 and 9, it says, And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds will be cut off and die, and one-third will be left in it. And I will bring the one-third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined. Test them as gold is tested. And they will call on my name. And I will say, This is my people. And each one of them will say, Yahweh is my God. So there's this judgment of sin that's going to be accomplished in this 70 weeks of Daniel. It's going to be accomplished. The third thing, he's going to make reconciliation for iniquity. Well, what's an easy way to say that? Atonement. Where did that happen? On the cross. So does everyone have to continue in their rebellion? Do we have to continue rebelling against God? Do we have to continue to call the world to celebrate our rebellion against God? Or at any time, can we repent? And if we repent, is God up there going, you know what, you're not good enough, your your life was a little too jacked up, we don't want you no more, you you missed your time? No, man, what God is saying is, He wants people to repent. To acknowledge that my rebellion against you is simply that. It's my rebellion. And we call it a lot of different things. And we all have it. It's not just a particular people group. Every one of us is jacked up and broken that way. Just because your sin's not on the, on maybe, not on the front page of the newspaper, it doesn't mean you're not broke and you don't need to repent. Man, God, you need to repent. And God's not okay with any of it. Say, let's just stop telling ourselves, God don't care about our sin. Well, he just has to forgive me. No. No, that sin, (laughs) Jesus paid for. And it was costly. God hates sin. And one of the neat things for us to try to grow into as we are following Christ is to see things his way. So if God says that's not okay, it's not okay. Whether you agree or not, it's irrelevant. God says not okay, and that's a sign of rebellion against me. So repentance means I turn away from my rebellion, whatever it is. Whatever that thing is, I turn from it and I go to the Lord. He has provided for us, guys, reconciliation through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling who to himself? What's that? He was reconciling the world to himself? So he's reconciling anyone, right? Reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What does that mean? God in Christ has provided a way for mankind to repent, be forgiven for his sins. One way. Not ten ways, not fifty ways, not you pick a way, put your hand in a hat, pull out a way. One way. One way that he has is that we repent and believe. We follow who? Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father 
except through me. Except through him. So it's Jesus Christ. He has made reconciliation. Now, how is it that God all throughout the entire Bible talks about the fall of man, man being broken in a mess, and all throughout the Bible God has talked about one way, one way that he was going to reconcile iniquity. And that was with the Redeemer. There would be a Redeemer. All throughout the Old Testament we see this idea of a Redeemer. In fact, Isaiah 59.20, it says, The Redeemer will come to Zion, and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. Those who turn from transgression. You guys get it? That means that you got to leave your rebellion. Standing in my rebellion and declaring, you know what? You just got to accept me like I am, God. Well, there's a part of that that's true. What's the part of that that's true? You're never soiled enough. You're never dirty enough. You're never broken enough that God don't want you. But he won't take you in your rebellion. You don't get to stay there. You don't get to say, this is just how I am. What do you get to do? You get to come to God, fall down on your knees before God and say, God, I'm a mess. I'm jacked up. I, I, do, I do the things I don't want to do. And the things I know I ought to do, those I don't do. We ever read that before? Yeah, book of Romans, right? Chapter 7. So Paul himself has that same exact struggle. So how, do, how are we reconciled? It's really not hard, guys. It's, it's hard in the sense that we have to make the choice to grab God instead of grabbing our sin. But all we have to do is ask him. Right? Barry shared a story earlier. He said, uh, if you ask your father for a piece of bread, will he give you a stone? If you ask your father for, what was the other one, an egg, will he give you a snake? But (coughs) he says, if you being evil give good things to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You come before God and you ask whosoever, you come before God and you ask, and he's right there. And I don't care where you're at or what you've done. I, it doesn't, none of that matters. All that matters is your heart saying, you know what, I turn from my rebellion. The Redeemer came for all those who will turn from their rebellion. Some people stay in their rebellion, right? We read about Jesus talking to scribes and Pharisees all the time, right? Arguing with them, fighting with them. Why? Because they like their rebellion. They like their sin. They like it. But there's other people who come to Jesus, fall down on their knees and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what's God do? He has mercy on them. He forgives to make reconciliation for iniquity. That's something that God was going to accomplish in the 70 weeks of Daniel. Those are the three things, okay? Remember, three things he's going to do to deal with sin. Finish the transgression. That's the rebellion of the nation of Israel. To make an end of sin. To bring judgment. And reconciliation for iniquity. He has provided atonement through Jesus Christ, his son. That would be accomplished in the 70 weeks. Also, it will be the setting up of the kingdom, right? Three things involved in the setting up of the kingdom. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Now, everlasting righteousness is not a thing. It's a person. Yahweh Tiskanu. The Lord, our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that He made Him who knew no sin to become our sin offering. To become sin for us that we might become what? The righteousness of God. He imputes to us. It's His righteousness. So when we talk about the setting up of a kingdom, ushering in everlasting righteousness, what, where's that? what's that? That's the king. He's here. And when the king is here, that righteousness is how the world is going to be. 
It's going to be right. Because God knows how to make things right. He's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. He's going to make an end of vision and prophecy. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He's going to bring in a, an end to vision and prophecy. It means he's going to accomplish all the the all that God has to tell us. He's told us through Jesus Christ, His Son. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. People are constantly looking for further revelation, guys. They're constantly looking for further revelation. While, while God said in Hebrews chapter one, verse one, that He said everything He was going to say, that He finished everything He was going to say in the revealing. Of Jesus Christ. The unveiling of Jesus Christ. We read that's the first verses in the book of Revelation. The unveiling of the revealing of Jesus Christ. The vision of Jesus Christ. We went through, talked a little bit about it. But he's going he's, he's gonna, to, during these 70 weeks, he's going to finish saying everything he's got to say. Now look, there's, a, there's a, um, people today who are deceived. Multiple people today who are deceived because they're following what they believe to be a prophet. But if they spend time in God's word, they recognize that God said, I'm done talking. There's no further revelation. There's not a new book of the Bible that needs to be added. There's nothing new coming. It's done. It was finished in 95 AD. Complete. So, he says, during the 70 weeks, I'm going to Finish up. I'm going to put an end to vision and prophecy. The phrase, I'm going to seal up, is the exact same word. Uh, just previous, a sentence before in that verse, it says, to make an end of sin. In the same way, he's going to make an end of vision and prophecy. It gets wrapped up. It gets finished. <clears throat> and the third thing, he's going to anoint the most holy. He's going to anoint the most holy place. It's not a person. He's going to anoint the most holy place. Now what did that tell Daniel? Daniel's there. Where's the temple? It's in a heap. A rubble. Where's the city? In a heap. A rubble. So what's God telling him? Hey man, during the 70 week prophecy, the temple's going to be rebuilt. Now when we read two more verses, you're going to discover not only is the temple going to be rebuilt, it's going to be destroyed again. And it's going to be rebuilt again. And possibly destroyed again. And then rebuilt. So, but this is, a, this is hopeful for Daniel, right? What's he praying for? His nation. What's God telling him? Here's, when I'm, here's how it's going to look when I set up my kingdom. I'm going to accomplish it all in 70 weeks. 77s. I'm going to get it all done. I'm going to get it all done. I'm going to finish all of these things. So, that was the introduction. You guys ready? <laughs> we talked about that a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> so, we want to know what's the command that begins it all. What starts it? Okay, we just heard what's going to happen during it, what's going to be accomplished, what's going to start it. Let's look. Know therefore and understand, Daniel 9.25, that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King, Messiah, the Prince, the Ruler, there shall be seven weeks, 62 weeks. Now, pause for a minute. <clears throat> Sometimes, when we deal with eschatology, that's the study of end times, people want to understand, how come we don't just see all the 70 weeks together? Well, don't you read the Bible? 
Did it not just divide the 70 weeks? It divided into three groups. What are the three groups? We just read it. There's going to be seven weeks. Seven times seven is how much? 49, so it's 49 years. There's going to be 62 weeks. Oh, don't worry. I'll just tell you what it is. 483 years. That just is going to be totaled with the 49. It's all going to run together. And then we have a third group left over. How much is that? Seven. Okay, stay with me. There's going to be seven sevens, 62 sevens, and one seven. I didn't divide it. The verse did. You see it. It says, he says right here in the verse, he says, there will be seven and there will be 62 weeks. And then here's the emphasis. What's the emphasis? The street will be built again and the wall. The street will be built again in the wall. The word street is like the idea of plaza. Uh, in those days, everybody came to the marketplace to do everything. And the marketplace hadn't been built. A marketplace is like a big open area where guys could come set up their wares and sell stuff. You with me? So that's what I mean by street. They don't just mean a place to walk on. They're talking about like a plaza. The marketplace. And then a wall. Look, if you're going to keep your plaza safe and your houses safe, what do you need? A wall. Especially back then. Oh, you come into a totally destroyed town and you build yourself a mansion. Everybody around you knows. He ain't got no way to protect it. We come take his stuff. So they're going to build the wall. They're going to build the street. Those two things are important for us, right? And it says, even in troublesome times. So, know therefore and understand, there's going to be a command that says to go do that. A command to do what? To rebuild Jerusalem, the street and the wall. The street and the wall. And that's the kickoff. So you want to know, when does the 70 weeks start? I'm sure Daniel's like, cool, God's going to accomplish all this stuff. Right on, when's it start? From the going forth of the command to go and rebuild Jerusalem. Until the Messiah, the King. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So we have our kickoff. Let's take a look at them. There's, there's a decree. There's supposed to be a decree to go. <clears throat> Historically, there's four. The Bible talks about them all. We don't have time to read them all. So you guys have to do some reading yourself. Okay? I'm going to tell you three of them. I'll read the fourth one. The first one. First decree is by Cyrus. He sent the people back. Remember, God said through Isaiah 150 years before Cyrus was born that Cyrus was going to let the people go back to Jerusalem. Cyrus let him go back to build something specific. He let him go back to build the temple. What's, what's time supposed to be? Rebuild Jerusalem, the street and the wall. Okay, so these guys are going back to build the temple. That happened in 538 B.C. You can read about it in 2 Chronicles 36, 22 through 23. The second decree is Darius. Darius in 519 B.C. confirmed Cyrus's decree that the people could still continue to go back to rebuild the temple. Which one? What are we looking for? To rebuild Jerusalem, the street, and the wall. Right? Okay, so those two deal with the temple. Next you have Artaxerxes in 458 B.C. Artaxerxes in 458 B.C. made a decree that Ezra could go back and he could rebuild the temple. So we have three decrees in the Bible that all deal with going back to rebuild the temple. But what did he say the kickoff was going to be? When they go to rebuild what? Jerusalem, the street and the wall. 
So that decree is a little different than all the others. That's by Artaxerxes Longimanus. And we know the day. March 14th, 445 B.C. Oh, come on, Jackie, how do you know that? Well, let's read about it. It says, It came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Do you guys hear that? In the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. If they name a, a month in the Bible and they don't give us any numbers, it's the first day of the month. In the month of Nisan, so first Nisan, 20th year of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes began his rule, according to history, <clears throat> 465. 20 years later would be 445. Yeah, it counts down going that way. You guys with me? So, we got March 14th, 445 B.C. You can read about it in Nehemiah chapter 2, 1 through 8. That's the decree, a letter given to Nehemiah to specifically go back and rebuild Jerusalem. And in chapter 6, I want you to listen to this letter he sends back to Artaxerxes. He sends back this report in verse 15 of chapter 6 in Nehemiah. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul. In 52 days. So what, did, what were they building? Jerusalem. What? The wall. Specifically, they named the wall. Specifically, the street and the wall. So here's our kickoff. The 70 weeks, they start March 14, 445 B.C. March 14, 445 B.C. So we know from that point, there, we have two divisions, right? There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. The seven sevens, 49 years. That's how long it took. Nehemiah and Ezra to rebuild Jerusalem, to get things back on track. 49 years it took to accomplish that. Now there will also be 62, which is added to the sevens, right? So a total of 69 weeks. we got all 69 weeks. They start then, they go forward. So we're looking at 69 weeks, 69 weeks. So there's really two, what I would consider two legitimate views. I'll give you a real quick history on them, and then I'm just going to spend most of the time on the one I like. So the two, the two legitimate views differ on when the kickoff is. Okay? Some scholars say you should kick off from 458 B.C., that earlier Artaxerxes one that was in Ezra. They start there. There's no mention of the street, the wall, or Jerusalem. It's all about the temple. <clears throat> but if you start there, and you go 483 years, you roughly come to the time... When most scholars think Jesus was baptized and began his public ministry. So from the going forth of that decree until Messiah the Prince. The baptism of Jesus, beginning of his ministry, three years of ministry headed toward the cross. That's one solution. The other solution is, is a guy named Sir Robert Anderson. Anybody ever heard of him? Sir Robert Anderson, you, you, I don't let me give you some, uh, just in case you're in, what, what's that game where you got to have weird facts? Thanks, babe. You're always there for me. <laughs> in case you're playing Trivial Pursuit and you want to have an answer to a crazy question, uh, you, guys, you guys heard of Jack the Ripper, right? Well, the guy in Scotland Yard who investigated Jack the Ripper was Sir Robert Anderson. Sir Robert Anderson was like, Pretty far up in Scotland Yard, there in England. But he had one great passion in his life. To solve the mysteries of Daniel 9. So he spent, he's got a book called The Coming Prince. 
It's been in and out of print like 49 times. If you find it somewhere, feel free to buy it. If there's two, buy me one so I can have it. But he wrote this book, The Coming Prince. And The Coming Prince, he puts together all the information that I'm going to give you in the next seven minutes to tell you why I agree with Sir Robert Anderson. Okay? But, you know, that and a buck fifty will get you a, a cup of coffee at Denny's. And that's about it. So... You guys, study. Show yourself approved. Check it out. See if you come to the same conclusion as I do. But here's what Sir Robert Anderson did. Sir Robert Anderson said that in Genesis and Revelation, in the first book and the last book, there's a tendency to simplify a year to a 360-day year. They began to call it a prophetic year. 360 degrees in a circle, 360 days in a year. Uh, you're going to see it when we talk about the, the uh, uh, 1260 days at three and a half years. Okay, we, we've got it 30 day months. That's how it all adds up. <clears throat> so there's some guys who go a little further and they try to, to sell you. That everybody was using a 360-day calendar? I can't find proof that that existed. But I do see it utilized prophetically in Genesis and Revelation. So there's at least precedence for making a 360-day year. When you use a 360-day year, you put 483 years and you multiply it by 360 days, you come up with 173,880 days. From March 14th, 445 B.C. Ends at April 6th, 32 A.D. We know that 32 A.D. was Jesus' last Passover. April 6th, 32 A.D. is roughly four days before the crucifixion. You remember what happened four days before the crucifixion? Jesus came walking into Jerusalem and the people laid down palm branches and they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they proclaimed him as Messiah, the Prince. So, if we follow Sir Robert Anderson's uh, um, concepts, we come up to April 6th. If you don't, if you say, I don't like that, I just want to do 365 day years, you come to his baptism. It's up to you. Dig in, chew on it a little bit. But let me tell you this, no matter what you do, you come up in the time of who? Jesus. No matter how you do the math. But it's, I find it interesting that we have a precise day. Why do I find that interesting? Because the scripture tells us that Jesus, on the day that he walked into Jerusalem, was pointing to an exact day. Luke <clears throat> chapter 19, in verse uh, 37, it says, Then as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives. So Jesus, on the, on, the, on the Palm Sunday, is on his way into Jerusalem. He's descending the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. They said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees said to him, <coughs> to tell the crowd, Rebuke your disciples. But he said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would cry out. Now just, just hold on to that idea. 
Earlier, remember I told you, in the judicial hardening, God hardening or, or confirming the hearts of the nation of Israel so that Jesus would be crucified and, and give redemption to the world. Remember, when we, when we were, were talking about that, I said people would come up and Jesus would say, shh, don't tell anybody. You remember? Don't tell them I'm the Messiah. Don't, don't tell anybody I healed you. Don't, don't do these things. <clears throat> But all of a sudden, they tell Jesus, hey, tell the crowd to stop talking about you like you're the Messiah. What did he say? He said, if they're quiet, the rocks will cry out. What was special about that day? Jesus goes on to delineate that day even further. Let's look what the scripture says. But he answered and said, I tell you that the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. Why is he weeping? Because the hearts of Israel are hardened. They're not receiving their Messiah. They're not receiving their Messiah. Their hearts are hard and judgment is coming for them. He said, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But listen to this. But now they are hidden from your eyes. He said, if you only knew. If you only knew this is the day. This is the day. There's a specific day. That's why I think Sir Robert Anderson got it right. I think he utilized the scripture. He came up with a formula that, that brought us from March 14th to April 6th, the day Jesus walks in. And the day when Jesus is telling all the people who he had told to be quiet before, keep shouting out, keep telling everyone, Messiah has come. And he weeps over Israel because he knows Israel is not receiving. Their eyes are blinded. Their hearts are hardened. For what purpose? Just randomly? No, because God wants to bring redemption for who? The world. The world. And he promises, I blinded their eyes. If God can make uh, seeing eyes blind, we know he also makes blind eyes seeing. Did Jews get saved on the day of Pentecost? Are they still getting saved? Sure, all the time. How do you get saved? We talked about it, right? Stop the rebellion. Repent and believe. Follow the, the atonement provided for us by Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. So there's a particular day, a precise day. And on that day, Jesus said, man, if only you had known. Now listen to what else he says. He says, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave upon you one stone upon another because you did not know the time. Why? Because you did not know the time. Could they have known the time? Sure, they got the Bible just like we do. Were they reading it? Did they want to know? Did they want to stay in their rebellion? And in the choice to stay in their rebellion, their hearts grew hard. So God blinded their eyes. Brought redemption to the world. But before the 70 weeks is over... Those eyes are going to open. Before the 70 weeks is over, God's going to stop that rebellion. So I just want you to think, okay, so <clears throat> I give you this, this math, mathematical equation. Hopefully it works in your mind. 173,880 days takes us March 14th to April 6th, the day Jesus walks in. Four days later, he's crucified. When we go back to scripture, go back to Daniel chapter 9, and let's look at, at what the verse says. Now, I want you to stay with me. So after, <clears throat> um, after the 62 weeks in verse 26, 
Messiah shall be cut off, though not for himself. After, so after April 6, 32 AD, what's going to happen to Messiah? The word, the Hebrew word is karat. Karat means to be put to death. He's going to be put to death. He's going to die. And so they, they, he says Messiah. So here comes Messiah. They're going to proclaim him as king. And four days later, they're shouting what? Crucify him. Isn't that what we see? When we read the scriptures, isn't that how it happened? Daniel's writing about it a long time before it came to pass. He said, Messiah's going to come. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Messiah comes, Messiah gets cut off, but that's after 69 weeks. Right? 7 and 62. There's one seven-year period of time left. How come the time doesn't keep going? How come we don't keep working our way through? How come we don't keep seeing? How come it's not over? Why has there been this long pause in between? Oh, because Messiah was cut off. Look at what it says in Daniel 9, 26. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. What did Jesus just say in Luke 19? He said, if only you had known this your day, but your enemies are going to come and build an embankment around you, and they're going to destroy the city, and they're not going to leave one stone upon another. What's it saying in 20, verse 26 of Daniel 9? The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end will be like a flood. Water rushing in and washing everything out. A dispersion of the nation spread out around the world. When that occurred, really from the, the crucifixion of Christ, death, burial, and resurrection we entered into something called the time of the Gentiles. And the 70 weeks stopped. There's no more ticking. 70 weeks is paused. Till when? Oh, there's another kickoff. But that's another week. I'll, I'll give you the other kickoff another, <clears throat> another time. Don't worry. Next week's family camp... Um, so we're doing church in the woods. I won't do it then because somebody will not come up the woods and be mad. So I'll do it the week after that. We'll kind of wrap up these verses. But the scripture lays it all out for us, I think, so that we can follow it. Now, <clears throat> I just want you to, I, I'm, I'm going to throw out a, a few more facts and we're going to pray. But I just want you to hold on. The point, the purpose of Daniel chapter 9 is to tell us when we look at our world and our world is sideways and crazy and nutty things are happening, that God is saying, look, I'm the one who started the clock and I'm the one who's going to stop it. And he gave us a job to do. And it's not lay around and panic. It's not run around in a circle screaming. Although sometimes I feel like doing that. I'll be honest. Don't you guys ever feel like that? Yeah, the, one more person tells me their opinion, I want to spin around a circle like, ah, oh, I don't know, I got a sign that says, tell me what you think. <coughs> <coughs> sometimes, sometimes. So what's that job? What's the job God's given us? It's not, it's not complicated, guys. It's not complicated. From now till we see his face, we got a job to do. What's that job? 
to tell people about the reconciliation that's been wrought in Christ, that no one has to die in their rebellion. That nobody has to experience what those 49 guys experienced when that guy went into that club and just started shooting. And while we may pass from this earth under violent circumstances like that, if you have a relationship with Christ, you go from here into His arms. It's a, it's a definite step up from what's going on around here. But you see, we're the ones who have that information. And the scripture tells us, how will those guys know if nobody tells them? How are they going to hear if nobody's sent? What's the, what's the, the job of the church, guys, is to, is to send guys to do that. To send people out. To not let our, our eyes become so clouded by, with, with hate or mistrust or frustration over the circumstances that are going on, and then we don't want to do that job. That we don't want to tell someone about Jesus. That we just want to shoot them and be done with it. But God, the heart of God, the heart of God is, I have no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that they would repent and live. If 49 guys got killed, and I don't know all their state. I'm going to make assumptions. But 50 went to hell. And none of the other 49 were any, any different from the guy who started it all. They all had the same result. And they all had the same opportunity. What opportunity is that? To step out of your rebellion and come to Christ. And He will forgive you. Wash you whiter than snow. You don't become perfect. You just become a child of the king. And then you get a job. You get a commission. What's that commission? Tell others. Nobody has to die in their rebellion. And the message of the church, it can't be so clouded that nobody really understands what she's talking about. We just got to stand with the things Jesus has told us, what he's given us in his word. We hold fast to that. Until we see Him face to face. Time is progressing. Jesus gave us this promise. If I go, I will come again. He ever broke His word? You show me a place in the Bible where God said He was going to do something He didn't do it? Come on up, man. We'll do it. Man, He's going to do it. He's left. He's going to come again. Now, we, we have to guard ourselves because there's, there's a problem we can enter into, guys. We can enter into this idea that, well, I just want Jesus to come back now and get me out of here. And that's, I don't, that's not bad. I want Jesus too. And I'd be more than happy to get out of here. But what? We have what? A job to do. You led someone to the Lord this week? You shared your love of Jesus Christ with somebody else? Man, we got to do that. And we got to do it like there is no tomorrow. Because we don't know when one day somebody's going to come through the back of the door. And we'll be on the news. And then you don't get another day. That's it. All the days are done. But there has been the same opportunity to leave rebellion and to cling to Jesus Christ who will wash us whiter than snow. Amen.
we have hope in Christ. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you, Lord Jesus, and we, as we study these prophecies in Daniel chapter 9, and man, there's so many things there, and so many, so much to see, and so much to cling to. God, I pray that if nothing else, the stuff we talk about would ignite a heart of passion in your people to say, I want to know. Because I'll tell you, Sir Robert Anderson's life was not wasted spending at all trying to figure out Daniel 9. Our life is never wasted when we are spending it discovering the glory of God in His Word. God, I pray you do that work in our hearts. Ignite a passion in us, God, that says, man, there are, there are people who pass into an eternity without Christ celebrating their rebellion. And God, it's... It doesn't surprise us when we look at the news and we realize the sound of the shrieks and the cries and the pain and the hurt and all that's going on in this upside down world is just the sound of man worshiping the wrong God. The sound of man worshiping himself. Seventy weeks are determined for your people. There is a beginning. There will be an end. And as we work our way toward that point, God, I pray that we, even with those on Palm Sunday, would cry out, Hosanna, save now. God, you say that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, I pray that that's our heart. I pray that there's anybody in here who hasn't done that. They just get over their rebellion, man. You're just in rebellion. You're just rebelling against God, saying, my sin's okay, this is okay, I can live how I want, do what I want. But God's word says differently. And God is true and right and holy. But he has made a way, a reconciliation for you to just cling to Jesus Christ and be made clean God I pray that be our message that we take outside these doors that we may find ourselves in a hundred different situations that that are going to push us in one direction or another but I pray God we never lose sight of what you've asked us to do tell them about Jesus tell them about him God, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives as we pursue with a passion the desire to see this world like you see it. To recognize this world the way you recognize it, God. And to bring into this world that which you have provided to make it right. We pray that you be glorified in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close out.
with a worship song. The worship song is Hosanna. If you're here today, I think we got some elders, folks that are around here. Um, God lay this on your heart that you need to do something with Him. I just encourage you, just like the words of the song, cry out, save now. There'll be folks up front to pray with you up here at the stage. God bless you guys.